I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. So we're back this week with the return guest, and uh, as I've said in a couple Facebook posts, and uh, he is the evil alter ego of Mary Poppins. One of our favorite sportsmen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Cameron Gordon. And the reason I say that is is because, you know, so Cameron, you'll go on a small game hunt, right? And you'll come back with eight squirrels, and you think you've done a great job. You've just killed a ton. And Cameron, he'll come up to you and he'll say, "Man, you, you got a lot. You got a lot of squirrels there. I mean, you did a good, great, great job." And then uh, you go to look at his back of his truck, and he's got ten squirrels, four doves, two ducks, and, a, and about five rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> on a, on a slow day. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you know, you you would call oh that crack of the beer. Um, I was referred to as the evil Mary Poppins, and I liked it. I liked. It. I said, "Man, yeah, that's good. That's good." Well, you know, one of my favorite pictures it is what uh, I took. It was like, what, I think it might have been the first time I ever took my oldest son, Jackson, out hunting. And we were at Triple N Ranch, just kind of doing laps. And I said, all right, buddy, we're going to go look for squirrels. And we shot a couple squirrels back near the Cypress Head. And we're driving back, and there's a, a small covey of quail in the road. And one of them just kind of lagged behind and gave me time to get out of the car and sneak up on it. And then I shot a crow and a rabbit one snipe you know what i mean it was just one of those days i pull up at the check station and the lady's like well all right you're you're going all you're jumping all over my little sheet here you know and i was like yes <laughs> those are the yes. best days as a small game hunter man oh it is it is i just got to figure out a good dish where you can put a bunch of random tiny birds and critters make it take paella maybe i don't know you know i'll leave Stay that up, up. Uh, we, we can do that steak and kidney pie that we just had for oh. dinner just no kidney or very little bitty kidneys. Tiny kidneys. Micro kidneys. Absolutely. So, man, let, let's talk about that. So, <clears throat> we just, the the weekend of Halloween, so this is going to come out, and this, this will be like middle of November when it comes out, but the weekend of Halloween, I drew Rock Springs Run uh, Wildlife Management Area for the, the second muzzleloader hunt, and I took Jim with me, and Jim just laid down a doe, Saturday morning on my doe tags. Thank you. <laughs> go go ahead and give us a story behind that one, Jim, and how we came to this wonderful steak and kidney pie we had for dinner tonight. Well, against all of the good advice, we effectively did zero scouting. We did all of our scouting on Google and satellite scouting. Well, that we did. We satellite scouted and to be truthful, we kind of looked at the terrain and said, Well, you know, this looks like it might be a good spot. And wandered out there, um, jacked up a tree. Well, I should say Will got up a tree, and I said, I'm going to walk down until I can't see anymore. Well, I got about 50 yards away. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, went up a tree. And sure enough, man, shortly after, I mean, sun was just barely legal, and I get a text from Will with a picture of a, you know, about a 32-pound spike that just popped up out of the ground (laughs) underneath him. And send it. No, he didn't. Thank you. Thank you very much. And um, maybe 30 minutes after that, I looked down and 
I saw a deer and I didn't actually at the time I didn't know that the spike was that small. And, but knowing that there was a spike in the area and the light still wasn't that great. And I got a muzzle loader with a, maybe a $15 scope on it. You know, I'm, I'm looking through there and I'm like, ah, do, I, do I see a horn? I can't tell just a little bit of cover. So I let it walk and you know, like all good hunters, immediately text Will that I think I just let a doe walk. And while I'm dinking around on my phone, second guessing myself, I look down and, well, there's a doe. And this one was dumb enough to show me top of the head at about 25 yards. And it was feeding towards us. And I knew I was the guest. And we were lucky enough to have doe tags. But I knew that there was no way, since I, <laughs> in the dark I managed to use my climber to get all of about 10 feet off the ground. <laughs> I knew there was no way that that doe was going to feed underneath me and keep on going to you, man. And I sat there conflicted for, in my head, at least three minutes. In reality, about half a second. And that was it. Brown down. You know, if there's something I've learned from from doing that to last minute, I'm going to sit up here thing you know, on public land in a climber. Is that when you think you're high enough, go five more feet, or what you think is five more feet, and then add one more foot to it, and then you might be about fifteen feet off the ground. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like the whole the whole scenario where you know I was looking at you, looking at your light, and judging distance. I was like, oh yeah, Jim's. I th- I could have swore Jim, you were two hundred yards away from me. Yeah, and then the sun came up, and you're like, oh, I didn't realize we were this close. And I looked to my left, and Jim, you might have been seventy five yards. 75, 100 yards from me. Down Not there. 100. No way, man. I, 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 75 is, is being gratuitous. <laughs> yeah. I always have. My problem is if I'm going in blind on on, on some land, and, and uh, which which is still, hey, get to the woods. Just because you haven't scouted, I mean, get out to the woods. Find a spot. Be that guy that's going in after light if you have to, You know, in my opinion, which isn't a popular opinion. But uh, I always have buyer's remorse. I'll get up in a tree, and I'll think, I'm like, all right, I'm going to set up, and I'm like, about a half hour into legal shooting hours, I'm like, this is a horrible spot. This is a horrible spot. I got to move. I got to move, you know? And so, and I usually do, and I don't see anything. So there you go. Yeah. You know? yep. <laughs> so you, you're uh, eight feet off the ground. You got to know. Hey, a little know, higher per- than eight, but not much. Yeah. Maybe 10. That's, that, right. that's that's something that tends to get me in trouble when I when I haven't scouted an area and it comes daylight, and then I'm walking with my climber on my back. And I did this Saturday afternoon uh, where I walked in. I was like, this looks like a good spot. And then I walk up here and I'm like, man, this is a pretty good spot, but I can't see around that corner. What's around that corner? Oh yeah. And then I go around that corner. I'm like, man, this looks like a good spot too. I see some sign. I'm like, but there's a corner up there. Let me go around that corner. The next thing you know, I'm half mile, mile from the truck because I keep going around that corner and going around that corner and going around that corner until I'm way out there. Yep. Totally. Totally. But you know what? That is why I love public land. And oh, large absolutely. acres, because there is that next corner, there is that next bend. You're on thousands of acres, not dozens of acres. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just uh, it's the allure of what's around the next bend. Yep, man, and that's it. Well, to be fair, we we got there was a certain amount of luck involved. There always is whenever you're, you're hunting public land, especially without really scouting it. But with technology and looking at Google Maps, you could see the terrain, and then for I, I when I was thinking about the area, we, we were as much hunting the terrain we were hunting the hunters as much as we were hunting the terrain Mm -hmm. you know we were we were out on a boundary and figuring that well everybody's going to come piling in if deer go squirt where they're going to squirt they're going to squirt this direction because although they could 
they could go into the Wakava River. I mean, figured deer are lazy like we are. You're gonna if you're gonna try to squirt out, are you gonna ford the river or are you gonna take the high road? And then all it all just worked out. You know, that's that's all I say. It just worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we <clears throat> we did it from a pretty good in a pretty good spot. And I I don't think I tried to go back there Saturday morning and that was a whole different public land story, but <clears throat> well, you could tell them, man. Maybe the guy had an accident. We don't know. We we I, I got a so I got a third of the way to where we hunted Saturday morning and I was well before daylight. I think this was about five fifteen in the morning when I was my way there. I, I fully intend to, when I hunt public land, if sunrise is at seven 30, I'm up in the tree, sat down, ready to hunt at at least six 30. I try to be super early and that goes for duck hunting, deer hunting, whatever. And I, that's just me. I want to be early. I want to be there first. That way when you come in at, Right before sunrise, I'll shine you with my light, like I did to the guy that came in Saturday morning, and he turned around and and went back as the direction he came from. But <clears throat> he drove past me in a pickup truck a third of the way down a closed road. So at that point, I just turned around and went back closed where I came from. road. Yep. Yeah. So I just turned around and went back where I came from and hunted somewhere else, which ended up being seventy five yards from the truck, and I didn't know it <laughs> in the darkness. So Cameron, what's your opinion? If that were to happen to you, I know we're not looking to initiate conflict per se, Mm. but as a guy who's hunting, yes, you're trying to get to your spot, but when somebody's bringing a motor vehicle down a closed road, do you, do you take the time to flag them down and say, Hey, do you realize you're on a closed road? Understanding that the guy could be like, you know, piss off, mind your own business. In which case you just, you go the other direction. Or do you stop him? And if you say you realize in your closed road, and he goes, "What? No kidding! What? What do you? What do you? What's the proper etiquette in your opinion?" That's situational, man. I I I can't say there's 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 one uh, one approach that I'd take. You know, uh, uh, a lot depends too. You you know, if if I felt like I was standing on the road and he's coming towards me, and I was gonna say something, and the dude looks. Ape shit crazy by the time it gets to me. You know, maybe I'm like, hey, see anything, partner? You know what I mean? But I've all, so going back, public land, this and that, you know, one of the things, and I'm not sure about Rock Springs Run, uh, but but like say in Three Lakes, Bull Creek, you have these amputee permits. Okay. So guys with an amputee permit can ride all these fire yeah, lines and get way down. Thing. So I'm yeah. like, but at first I was, uh, you know, there was one time we were greenhorns out there hunting and, and I'm walking back, uh, Mizell's Crossing, which is a place in Bull Creek. And I see this uh, four-wheeler parked way back in the woods and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, this guy's driving off the road, right? You know, he's kind of pissy pants. And I was talking to the guy at the check station. He's like, no, that's that's best bow. He's got an amputee permit. You were in Grapefruit Hammock. He hunts there every year. I'm like, oh. So I don't know what the, I don't know what the situation is, you know. Uh, but at the same time, too, depending on that guy might have been totally lost and missed the sign and turned around. You just don't know. You know, like you I told read. Jim, there, like a, like you just said, there are permits that allow you to continue on, some people to continue on down those closed roads. Mm-hmm. And it's not like it's super obvious. There's what, how big is that state forest sign? What is that, four by eight mm-hmm. maybe? Oh, yeah, he could easily miss it. <clears throat> it's not a very big sign. And so. they're, they're all about that big. So it's it's not in, in there three feet off the ground. You could easily miss it. I don't fault the guy for it. Right. But at the point, if I was that person, I would have stopped and said, hey, you going to hunt down here? Right. And, and to be fair, the closed roads in Rock Springs Run are maintained better than some of the best roads in Bull Creek. So, <laughs> right, right, you know, right. It, it's one of the things that if you're just driving and you're trying to see how far back in you get and you're excited, you'd easily miss the sign. And, the, and, and because the road 
aside from the fact that it made a turn and that's where the sign was, there wasn't an abrupt change like, well, that road just went to hell. Right. It wasn't like driving down some sandy fire lane, you know. Sure. And accidents do happen. Yeah. It's tough to say, but it kind of comes back to, it's like, you know, uh, etiquette, etiquette is so subjective, right? And it is. And, uh, you know, I'm on a couple different pages from specific force and there's always guys complaining about this guy out walking and walked up on me and drove up on me. But I, I, I tend to think on a good quota, because that's a good quota. Okay. Any quota in Rock Spring is a great one. You know, get settled. All right. Especially on, a, you know, get settled and kind of just give everybody the morning hunt. You know, don't, uh, if, 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 if you aren't positive, there's no one around kind of lay low, you know, don't, you don't need to be driving around. <laughs> 8 30 right then yeah yeah, right. yeah kinda, just, you know and don't worry i've been that guy i mean right? have i been that guy yes big time you know what i mean we've been like getting in late you know things happen but yeah if you know you're late you know try to try to ease on in there be respectful you, you know, take the it's... you take the extra precautions <clears throat> to not disturb someone else's hunt Absolutely. although you know <clears throat> in reality on a lot of public grand you uh, public land you are going to disturb someone else's hunt to a degree mm-hmm. but you just take the extra step to try to be polite and say hey i'm sorry turn around and go back where yep. you came from absolutely absolutely so but you brought up a, a thing about etiquette and for some reason it made me think about something that i that, that has been on my mind and when it comes to ethics and this is opinion of mine so take it how you will ethics and opinions are next of kin mm-hmm Right. So what you consider ethical, I may I may not consider ethical. And I, I always try to put it, I put it several people who <clears throat> tend to disagree with me that you may not find it ethical to, I said, dispatch a seal with a club. Right. That, that was a big thing you saw. Yeah. Uh, this this is what in the late nineties two thousands club and baby seals. More like early eighties, but you may have seen sure. reruns. <laughs> sure enough, <laughs> I'm the old man. <laughs> but the thing is, is when you look at the Inuit people of Alaska, uh, if a club is all they have, if 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 it's a club or a knife, and a club is faster, do you think that they think a club is unethical, or do you think it's unethical unethical because you have a rifle, right? Right. Right. So it's all how you're raised. Well, that's fair enough. If you're thinking, if you, if you want to draw really hard lines and say, well, if you're going to hunt, you have to use the most lethal and fastest way possible, then it eliminates archery hunting. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Right. But there's other people who say, no, 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 no. If you're going to make it the greatest challenge, well, then you, you're talking about tra- trad bow hunting. Right. Or maybe flintlock. Yep. yep. <laughs> so who's, you're right. You're absolutely like right. Like I said, Who, ethics, ethics are right. Ethics are, right. are very next akin to opinions. Very much so. Very much so. And you know, it's funny. Uh, it, well, they are. And, and especially ethics opinions from people who have very little exposure. Because one of the big, you know, yeah, I don't hear it a lot, but, but I've heard it multiple times in my life from people who really never hunted. Like, well, no, if you're going to kill something, you need to do it with a bow and arrow like the Indians did and give them a fighting chance. Not knowing like, hmm, yeah, like that deer I shot two weeks ago and the thing ran 200 yards and finally bled to death. So you know, half a mile, you know, it was like, well, I, all right, fair enough. I love to bow hunt. 
but I'll tell you this. And I and I I hunted with so there were four four guys that I hunted with when we were in uh, when I was in Kentucky and Tennessee, and we hunted on a piece of private property together. Two of us hunted the seasons. If it's bow season, we're hunting with a bow. Muzzleloader hunting, you know, so on and so forth. The other two guys strictly bow hunters. That's all they did: bow hunt year round. And the one guy was like, "Well, you know, you got to hunt like the Indians did." I was like, "Well, one, why are you using a compound bow?" <laughs> right. All right. Two, what was the first thing the Indians did when they saw the lever action rifle? Traded everything they could find <laughs> to get a lever action <laughs> rifle. <laughs> yeah, Native Americans, Indians, same. You know, yeah. I, I see you Indigenous drove here in your big metal pony. Yeah. <laughs> It is though, you know, and that's uh, you know what it's 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 again it's ethics are akin to opinion. You know, I like I like that, and that and that and that makes a lot of sense, and and we see that play out all over the place. You know, from what the guys down in South Florida complaining about buggies, or the guys that have been like, well, my great grandfather had the first buggy in this creek. You know what I mean? To uh, to houndsmen, you know, running for the deer dogs. Uh, you know, it's different strokes for different folks. It's and it's hard to coexist. But, but you know, yeah. it, 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 I. I hear it, right? But when it comes to the buggies and the airboats and the things like that, that is native Florida culture. Just like pigs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, you know, I, forgive me. You know, I, I do. I understand that pigs came here due to human introduction. And I would argue that with the exception of Hawaii and Florida, that pigs are non-native. And I understand Hernando de Soto showed up in 1528, I think is the year. Sounds about right. Um, that might have been Nevaez, but it doesn't matter. Hernando de Soto shows up here and drops off some pigs around Tampa. We'll get into that in a couple of weeks. Yeah. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> and the Spanish were sort of here and sort of not. And then the French were sort of here and sort of not. And the British were sort of here and sort of not. But all the time, the pigs were here. Right. So... It wasn't, it really wasn't until after the Civil War that any reasonable number of people started showing up in, especially the peninsula of Florida, or even World War II that the population really took off. Sure. So now all of a sudden the pigs are non-native. And I'm like, ah, oh, come on, man. Right, <laughs> Just, right, right. You know, um, and people can feel free to disagree. And I'm not saying that pigs aren't destructive. I'm not saying pigs don't really need to be throttled back. And I understand that they do all those other things, but I... Still, though, <clears throat> five, 500 years, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. At what, the, at what point does it become like, all right. Right. The overwhelming right. majority of people that reside in Florida right now knew the first Floridian in their family. Mm -hmm. Right? They, <laughs> so you're going to then, oh, pigs are not native. Hmm. You stay at the Pennsylvania sure, sure. license plate on your car. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. 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 But like you said, pigs are, are very destructive. Yeah, and I'm I'm really, I'm not that hard like that whole pigs are native argument. That's like a two on a scale of one to ten. I don't sure. really care. Right. <laughs> it's a, it's it's interesting to think about. You know what? Uh, on a, I won't even get off uh, too long on it, but uh, but it's interesting. My my son is in fourth grade. You know, and fourth grade is the Florida grade. You know what I mean? Right. And so uh, uh, they were studying invasive species, and so, you know he goes to the school, and I'm sort of the native kind of redneck uh know-it-all kind of outdoorsy dad of the school at least you, know, both, you don't both, say both given the title and self-proclaimed you know what i mean and that they said well, well mr gordon would you like to come in and could you talk about invasive species i said yeah sure i'll put together a little google slide of invasive species and talk all about it i, I and i love it i love that kind of thing 
like, you mean I get to take off of work and go talk to kids about animals? So I did Placostomus and, you know, all sorts of stuff. But I kind of chose the stuff that I like. And what I was like, well, yeah, Sus Scrofa, the wild hog, you know, and it gave me a chance to show off a picture of me with a dead hog hanging in my carport to all these little private school kids. So, you know, that was, that was <laughs> kind of fun, but it's like, yeah, invasive, maybe, you know, but they are destructive, absolutely yeah. destructive, you know, but uh, again, after, after so long, you talk about highly adaptable species, which, which wild animals are adaptable, uh, fairly adaptable. So they've, they've kind of established equilibrium at this point, one way or another, yeah. I, I'd have to imagine. Yeah. Do you know anybody that wants them gone? I mean, really like in an absolute sense, Real estate developers, I mean, you know, because <laughs> they tear up their turf, sod farmers, you know, but no. Hunters, no. I mean, they'll. Uh-uh. No. Like, if, you, if you're really hard up and you got to go hunt and it's June, pig's always in season. You know, that's an interesting thing you bring up there because you have states like Tennessee and uh, Kentucky does what Tennessee doesn't allow you to harvest pigs. You, there's actually a contract program set up in the state of Tennessee where if you see pigs, even on your private land, you're supposed to call and they'll come and trap them. Wow. I think the logic behind that, if I'm not mistaken, I think the logic behind that is you had people actually importing pigs. Yeah, you're 100% at one point correct. And transporting pigs and spreading them for the idea of, hey, I'll have something to hunt all year round or I can charge people to come hunt on my farm. Correct. And mm. you know, they don't sit still. Right, the, that's you. You are one hundred percent correct, and that was the issue they had before, and that's yeah. why before this program started, which it started here recently, you weren't allowed to kill pigs on public land. As far as I remember, you could only kill them on private land. Hmm. So even then, they were they were trying to combat that people the the potential that someone could sneak pigs in and release them on their property, so that. You created a hunter a hunting opportunity for an outfitter or whatever uh, year round, other than white-tailed deer or whatever else they, native species they had. So, but I only I only let two go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's all it takes. And you know, I saw that uh, on the pizza property we had in Southeast Georgia when we started. Uh, we didn't have any pigs on camera the first year. Uh, I think the first year we might have had three pictures of one pig, the same pig in three different places. And the next year we had feeders getting split open by 20 pigs. Mm -hmm. There's 20 pigs and they knock a feeder over and then the giant one crawls inside of it and literally split the barrel of the feeder wide open. Mm. And that was in a year's time frame. Yeah, they're fascinated. Yeah, they're and it, it, it's not even so much the fact that they do multiply that quick, but once they find a food source, that's it. They're done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's get back to actual real small game. Yeah. So, I mean, go for it. Well, we have, like I said, the world's greatest, certainly Florida's greatest small game rabbit hunter here. Well, if you all could see me, you'd see me blushing. Jim, you're too nice. And, uh... <laughs> so, Cameron, I, that that is a, you brought up the rabbit hunting thing, but. I seem to, the rabbits seem to elude me. What what do you do that actually allows you to kill rabbits? And we have a unique thing here in Florida where you can actually hunt rabbits literally year round. Yes. Yes, you can. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've got going, and I love, I love rabbit hunting, but I, I just, I just, I, I cross their paths or they cross mine. Uh, I hunt in a lot of areas that just have a, a good, healthy rabbit population. 
You know what I mean? There's just, just a lot of rabbits in some of the woods that I hunt. Uh, so that's, that's number one is that I'm just, you know, there's a lot of them where I hunt and, uh, kind of got the eye for them. You know, I think there's a lot of guys too, that they'll be driving out and see a rabbit and just, just not bother to shoot it too. And I'm, I'm, I just kind of, they're not eating them then. Man. Compulsory for me. I like, if I see a rabbit, it's like, I must shoot it. (laughs) You mentioned having an eye for them. Mm -hmm. So you already hit the first, you can't, you're not going to kill rabbits where rabbits aren't. Right. So check that box. But then since you know they're there, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that when you're driving out to wherever you're going, especially when the sun's just coming up and it's just legal, you're actively looking for them. No? Uh, a, a, a lot of the time. I mean, it, you know, it depends. Like uh, if I'm going to, so, you know, uh, one of the places I love to go, Triple N Ranch, small game season. And it's like if I'm if I'm heading, walking or, or driving to a spot, Kind of in the morning, because those rabbits, you know, there's a short period of time when rabbits move, you know, barely at, at first legal shooting hours, and they're gone all day until like, you know, about last light, you know what I mean? So they are very, what is that, crisp, crisp baronal, you know, I forget the uh, the biological term, but they're sunrise and sunset creatures and overnight. Uh, and uh, yes, I'm looking for them, but but a lot of it is just kind of the silhouette, man. I'm telling you, it's 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 that silhouette. So if you're a good hunter, or a road hunter or a crappy hunter that hunts from the truck, whatever you want to call yourself. But it's, it's like silhouette recognition is just, just huge. Like you need to be walking. And it's, it's a lot of times a rabbit, you know, they got real cryptic coloration. And so they won't necessarily even move, but there's just, it's, it, it triggers something in the brain. Like a lot of the times, some of the rabbits I've seen, I'm like, I just see it out of the corner of my eye. It didn't even move. And it's blending right in. And I just see that joke. You know? And so I don't know. It, it is that, but I also look for them. You know, if I'm, if I'm small game hunting, and it's early in the morning. I always got an eye out for a rabbit. Always. That is one of the things I do love about rabbits is it doesn't seem that their first instinct is to run. Yeah. It does seem that their first instinct is to freeze and see if you go about your business. Yep. I wonder how many I walk past for that reason. Right? Totally. But man, when you eyeball them, because you, you can walk up on them. Yep. Yep. And I could, I mean, I could bore you all with stories, just tons of stories. You know, so it is, I'm not even tooting my own horn. This is a blessing and I'm very thankful for it. Uh, but like, you know, and you can ask my good buddy, Jeremy Kearns, who I hunt with the most. I mean, he'll tell you I'm Eagle eye dude. I just, my eye, I've got a great eye, like just way off in this. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a deer in the road, whatever. You know what I mean? No, I see a lot. I've, I've snuck up on a lot of burnt tree stumps too. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, uh <laughs> you know, uh, oh, it's moving. It's moving. No, that was a, that was a burnt stump. Yeah. But I put, I put the sneak on, I belly crawled 50 <laughs> yards on that burnt stump. But, uh, uh. You know, yeah, yeah. Got the eagle eye. Got to tell you, got to shake what your mama gave you. I'll tell you when I was when I was living up in Kentucky, uh, we had an ungodly amount of rabbits in our yard. And when that time of year came around that it was it was free game, <clears throat> I would stand there on my back patio because there was a hill behind my house that went up, and I would shoot over top of my six foot privacy fence with a bow. And shoot rabbits <laughs> on the hill behind the house. And then uh, my neighbor, he says, you know what I'm going to do? He said, I'm going to set traps for them. I was like, you're not going to catch rabbits in traps. Well, he took his privacy fence and he moved the uh, a couple panels up. Just up, just enough to make a hole. Mm-hmm. And he put body traps in the holes. And he did that for about two weeks. And he pulled the traps because he got tired of cleaning rabbits every morning when he got home. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he, he, would, he would literally catch. So he'd go to work. 
at five o'clock in the morning, come back at eight o'clock and have to clean two rabbits. He would leave at eight o'clock, come back in the afternoon, have to clean two more. Like they were steadily feeding into his backyard through those two holes in his fence. And he just snapping them in that body trap. Wow. Wow. Well, you talk about satellite scouting. That, that, that's interesting. I didn't think so. Because, you know, what do they eat? They eat grass. You know, they sit there right. and eat grass. Like, in fact, a rabbit, when they feed, like, you'll see the same damn rabbit. If, you, if it's one you can't hunt, you know, you see it in the same spot every morning. There it is in the same spot. You know, it lives in that hole and it comes out and it, its life exists in like a 10-foot radius, you know. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, terrain, the, the wood types that they like, too. You know, anybody that wants to hunt rabbits in Central Florida, North Florida, South Florida. A little bit of that dry scrub, you know, they don't like being wet unless it's a marsh rabbit. But if you got a cottontail, you know, they don't really like being wet. And they like to be on just a little bit of bahia grass or some some grassy edge of a scrub. Scrub. But if you see that white sand, if you see that white sand, there's probably gonna be a rabbit nearby. That's good to know. And all he all he was doing was taking because you're already seeing rabbits inside the backyard. No no idea how they got underneath the privacy fence. They dug a hole. Oh. Right, so you create an easy access path for them to go through by lifting that fence panel up just six inches. So they constantly use that that uh, easy access avenue, and he would set the body trap with a hairpin hanging down in there. Boom! As soon as they went through, that's fun. That's fun. But so, man, if you didn't make it to the pig roast, Cameron was lucky enough to win the obsession bow. Absolutely. On a one ticket purchase, you sorry dog. Well, now it was a one ticket purchase, but I was so high on life after I found out that I won. I did give another 20 to the uh, <laughs> very uh, uh, magnanimous Operation Outdoors Freedom. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't want to mis- mispronounce mm-hmm. their total title. And uh, and I was, you know, I'd heard about what they do. So I won that bow and I was like, here's an, have another 20. Take more of my money, gentlemen. <laughs> but yeah, man, one raffle ticket. Got that bow, beautiful obsession. Uh, really nice bow. I was, I was, uh, talking before the podcast. Um, I'd always hunted with this little bear element that I bought at Bass Pro Shop on sale 20 years ago, you know, and, uh, and it was, you know, decent and I'd do okay with it. But then I shot this bow, which I, uh, you know, there's a, there's quite a backstory either way, but won the bow and part of winning the bow was hey go to, uh, this, uh, guy named, uh, Hendrick Central Florida Archery, it's Central Florida Archery. And they'll outfit it for you and let you shoot it. He'll get it all set up. You know what I mean? And they sure did. Okay. Very helpful. Very informative. Got it all set up. Took it to the range. And by the, you know, just a little bit of tweaking to the sights. And man, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was driving tacks with that thing. Just first time shooting it. And I'm a very, very average shooter, not heavy bow user. And uh, just the balance of that bow and the way it was. And the fact that I won it, you know, <laughs> that I had a thousand dollars worth of bow and stuff on it. You know, for a $20 ticket, made it even better. It was a wonderful event. If you weren't at this pig roast, it, it, you really missed out. But, uh, uh, yeah, and it, it <clears throat> worked out great. T- took it to their range, had it all sighted in. Had never hunted with it before. Only practiced with it that one time. All right. And so I uh, sighted in at their range and got a, you know, I got a 20, 30, and 40. And uh, and it's a single, single dot, single fiber optic dot site the pin the pin pin, yeah yeah and uh you know the one that i was used to had three and so i was kind of like new with it and then took it out to an archery quota i had in a a forest called charles bronson wildlife management area which we will talk more about later i I hope because i got a lot to say about bronson and uh took it out there i took my buddy hunting and i was really kind of hoping to get him something 
And um, but we we didn't really get anything. We're walking back towards the end of the morning. And I actually had to get back and do a little bit of work. He had to go to work. I had to take my son to football practice that night. There was a whole bunch of stuff that I really needed to get back to. So I'm like, all right, man, let's just ease through this creek. After about 15, 20 minutes, if, if we don't see anything, let's hoof it back to this fire line. We're done. Well, we're easing through the creek, almost back to the fire line that I knew, you know, bisected the creek. And I see some brown, see some movement. Like I said, that eagle eye, and I kind of ease up on it, shoot this buck. So I shot a buck. With that uh, that bow that I'd won at y'all's pig roast. And it was just, it went full cycle. Awesome. You know, you think about it, all the things that came together there. <clears throat> you met the guys from Operation Outdoor Freedom. And we chatted them. So we decided we we're going to do the pig roast to raise some money. Mm-hmm. Then Jay Stone from Common Man Outdoors happens to be here doing a podcast. He's got a military background. He hears about them. Says, man, that's something I want to be a part of. Let me see what I can wrangle up. Comes up with the obsession bow, which was a home run. Right. So we do the pig roast. Cameron wins the bow. Oh, I'm sorry. Skipped a step. In the meantime. So let me correct you real quick before we go go further. Jay Stone got in contact with Jordan Spencer of Common Man Outdoors. So two different entities. Good friends all across the board. My mistake. Yeah. Uh, And if you haven't, I'm going to go ahead and plug this one right now. Common Man Outdoors is now on Carbon TV. Nice. So you could pick them up there too. So in the meantime, we'd also been then introduced to um, um, Heinrich. Yeah. From Central Florida Archery. Then Cameron wins it. And he's cool enough to say, well, not only since since Common Man Outdoors is giving you the bow, I will trick it all out <clears throat> gratis. And then sure enough, was that your, was that your first hunt out archery? Of the year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not ever. I mean, you know. I don't no, no, this before, year. Yeah, oh, yeah. This first and only. First and only archery hunt. Boom. Yep. You know, the whole, the, the I don't know, the dominoes all line up. And then now we have Cameron back in here telling the story. Right. Like, whew, talk about full circle. And no I got to plug uh, Hendrick. I mean, too, man. When I went over there, I mean, he, he pulled up and we're in his little shop and he's doing stuff and he's like, he, he's holding his phone with his ear and he's talking to me and some lady comes up to pick up her bow and he's doing... I mean, he, he's kind of amazing, man. He was he was pretty amazing. I was like, wow, this dude is on point with his skills and just uh, knowledge and, and everything like that. So super, super great guy. He's definitely somebody with a passion for archery. Mm-hmm. Not just bow hunting, but archery in and of itself nope. in the art form that is archery. Nope. And, you know, I... Uh, I, I, I like it, and let me tell you, especially, you know, I, I, I was sitting earlier that morning, but then finally it was kind of wearing on, and my buddy, you know, he came up and met up with me, and he was, <laughs> I could see him in the stand. He was, he was about 10 feet off the ground, you know, if that. <laughs> found, a, found a random tree in the dark, you know what I mean, 10 feet off the ground. Jim. You know, <laughs> about 30 yards from a road, you know what I mean? I'm like, all right, fair enough. Hey, whatever. You, you, in some of these good forests, you get a good quota, man, you could hunt behind the check station on the road. Right. Put up a lawn chair in the road. You might shoot something. But uh, I am not a huge archery fan, man. I'm not. I love it when you finally get in a creek and you're stalking something and you pull back on it and you got to look at it through the sight and the arrow flies. But I've I've, I've mortally wounded a few things, never recovered them. I've had some bad experiences. You know, it's hot. But uh, yeah, it's a love-hate relationship that I have with archery. Let's put it that way. But that bow made a huge difference. I mean, that that thing is just well-balanced. Shoots accurate. Yeah. So beautiful. Great. So I'll tell you from a, the perspective of a, a, a Florida boy and who grew up hunting 
some in Florida. Uh, actually, I probably archery hunted more in Florida. I know I archery hunted more in Florida than I ever did in Georgia uh, growing up. <clears throat> because, you know, we had the Ocala National Forest right down the road, and we'd go up there and archery hunt. But it's really hard to get into archery when you associate archery hunting during archery season with heat, mosquitoes, and sweat. Mm-hmm. Now, when I went up to Tennessee and Kentucky, and I'm like, man, it's open a week in archery season. And uh, I'm going to go out today. The high is 65 and the low is wow. 43. That's a whole lot easier to get excited about archery season. Right. <laughs> you know, because yep. it's sure. it's already cool. I'm not going to get out there and, and sweat my sweat sweat to death and fight mosquitoes. For some reason, they're still mosquitoes, but they're not nearly as bad as they are here. Right. And, uh, hell, we were dealing with mosquitoes over the weekend. And it was in the 50s. But it was a beautiful weekend of deer hunt last weekend. Oh, yeah. But yes, uh, it was. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, I think it's easier to get into archery hunting when you live in a state that's a little further north where it actually is. You actually, deer season starts in the what feels like fall mm-hmm. versus right, right. what the calendar says is fall. You so, know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sloshing, you know, especially some of those archery seasons when I used to do it, do it more, you know. There'd be like one of those freak tropical storms that would come through like, you know, a few days before the opening of the season. So it's like literally you're, you're like knee deep water going over your boots on a fire line that was dry a week before. You know, I mean, it's a, you know, we're in a swamp some places, man, you know. I actually like that, though. I do like that when you're walking in. And I don't know why, because uh, I don't like it walking out. But when I'm walking in and there's a certain element of discomfort. Mm-hmm. I, I like I don't know I like the adventure I like feeling that um, I'm earning it sure it's not bit. for the timid no no yep. no because there is that element that you know when the water comes over its bank so does everything that lives in the water absolutely you know when I left Florida in 2012 I thought that I would never come back I I never I initially never wanted to come back here it was like it's too hot just the mosquitoes, all this other stuff. And then I spent five years in beautiful rolling hills and oak forests and bottoms and all this stuff. And I'm sitting here going, I don't want to admit this, but I miss the swamp and the pine trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's just something about it that, that, uh, it beckons you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of swamp and pine trees, we should probably talk about that particular piece of property that you want to talk about. Yes, well, I, and I, and it is a beautiful piece of property. And if I recall correctly, it is December 18th that you all have the December 8th. There's a small game hunt that y'all are hosting in that piece of property called the Charles Bronson Wildlife Management Area, just outside of Christmas, Florida. I don't remember. We'll, we'll, we'll pull that exact date up. But either way, uh, uh, looking forward to it. And that is a beautiful forest. In fact, Bronson is probably one of my favorite WMAs around. And uh, lots of rabbits, tons of squirrels, different, you know, you can go from literally St. John's River floodplain up to uh, Palmetto Prairie, uh, you know, pasture land. I mean, it's got a little bit of everything. You know what I mean? It, it's just, it's, it's, it's got a, I'm assuming you were talking about Bronson. Right? Yeah, man. December, <laughs> eight, December 18th. December 18th. That's what it is. December 18th. Um, Which also happens to fall slap right in the middle of my, uh, my pig quota. 
<laughs> just realized that. Guess I'll be skipping one of those days. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Yep. Well, at least not like you're giving up a doe tag or something, you know. So, no, nah, man, what a yeah, blessing, right? though, man. I got, I, got too many, I got too many hunting opportunities. Oh, man. And then hunting opportunities galore. So, uh, interesting thing about Bronson. So, uh, uh, the Charles Bronson Wildlife Management Area has, yeah, I call it a north side and a south side. And there's two entrances, designated entrances. One is off of Curryville Road in the north near Chiliota. And the second is off of Phillips Road in the south. Uh, technically just unincorporated Orange County, but it's close to, it's off of Fort Christmas Road near Christmas. So that, that Southern end is the one that I go to the most. Cause I can just get there quick from my house. You know what I mean? I can get to that Southern entrance and just, you know, if I'm going 90 miles an hour on a toll road on the way out there, I can get there in about a half hour from my doorstep. And that's no stops for chili dogs and nasty gas station breakfast. There's a straight half Okay. Hour. So 45 minutes generally. 45 minutes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, uh, and so the Southern entrance and, and, uh, just an interesting story about that. You know, everybody has a little bit of, uh, of a personal connection to places, but, um, I was out there one time and there's a, there's a Southern entrance. It's the Joshua Creek trailhead. And I went out there to just to kind of scout around and hike and I'm sitting in the parking lot, just kind of killing time. And I see this guy walking down the road and one of the hiking trails and, and I talked to him and, and he, he said, yeah, we, we, uh, I said, where did you park? I didn't see you. You hike in from the North side. He said, no. We have, my family, it's a long time, our cabin is on one of those small pieces of private property that's out here. If you look at the map of Charles Bronson, you see a couple areas closed to hunting. And there's a, there's a couple small parcels of private property still in that forest. And I said, oh, really? Okay, interesting. Yeah, he's back there. He tells me his name. And he said, uh, I said, yeah, I've got a quota hunt here in a couple of weeks. This is years ago, mind you. And, uh, and he said, oh, okay, yeah, the, old, the hunters, you know, he said, there used to be a big hunting lease out here. I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah, there was a, you know, he's named, dropping a couple names. And he said, yeah. And then there was a, a dentist from Winter Park, Dr. Lee, and this and that. And I said, dentist from Winter Park, Dr. Lee, and something maybe that I remembered. I was like, man, I, I went back to my church youth group when I was a kid. And I remember there was a family, the Lees, and their dad was a dentist. They lived in Winter Park. And one time, I just, you know how you remember these freak things. And I remember him talking. His son's name was Chris. And uh, and he said something about uh, uh Oh yeah, you know my dad's uh, you know, well, he, he's hunting this weekend at his lease in Christmas, lease in Christmas, this and that. So I looked the kid up on Facebook, and uh, uh, and then later, you know, my a good buddy of mine dated his sister for a while too, you know, and, and uh, uh, I look him up on Facebook and I said, hey, this is Cameron Gordon from Youth Group. I know this sounds crazy, but did your dad used to have a hunting lease in Christmas that is now the Charles Bronson Wildlife Management Area? And then he's like, hey, good to hear from you. Yes, he did. Hunted there for years. And I was like, wow. So, that's not really that interesting, but it's kind of interesting. You no, know it is, I mean? man. Yeah, and even little whole, things like that. One of the coolest things about just that particular area that I like is it, it actually connects. So to the north, you got the little big econ, mm-hmm. and that dovetails into Charles Bronson, yep. and that dovetails into Seminole Ranch, right? But that's a whole testament to the people that, to the concerted effort that there was to create a wildlife corridor down along that whole St. John's area that creates the habitat, the area that we recreate on. Um, Mm-hmm. And you had landowners like that that, at, you know, at one point or another said, I've had my time and I'm going to to let it go. I'm sure that they did it for reward and things like that, too. But now we all get to benefit from it. So uh, absolutely props to them. B- b- major props. And, and, and what a blessing that they, you know, sold it to the state or 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 and, and, and actually it, like many wildlife management areas, uh, some of the people did retain cattle rights out there. So if you go there, you will see 
occasional, you know, cattle roaming the place and you do need to shut the gate behind you. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a blessing. Well, the thing about that, after you get south of Seminole Ranch, get a Tosahatchee and then river. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, actually, yeah. it's a lot. I mean, that's, uh, that's one of the, we, we sure. sometimes, we sometimes grab there's not enough public land in Florida, but there's actually quite a bit. We're, we are truly blessed to have the amount of public land that we do have here in the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just not federal. Right. I want to say I heard a stat, and I I, I don't want to misquote it. So, uh, you know, disclaimer, I don't know. But I want to say we're like third or second or third in percentage of the second percentage of, of public land. East of the Mississippi. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Who's first, Maine? I believe it's New York. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. I was going to say, Maine has but, a ton, but really it's not public. It's actually private with public access. They don't. Oh, New well. York doesn't have a lot on us. I, I, I want to say it's only, it's it's maybe a million acres, which in the grand scheme of things isn't a lot. Mm-hmm. That makes sense up along the Appalachians. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, Bronson, man, it's a, it's a beautiful forest. Beautiful forest, looking real forward to it. But, you know, the one thing we do have here in Florida that a lot of states across the entire U.S. don't have is the public water access that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to waterfowl hunting and stuff like that, it it is so easy to find a place any to, to waterfowl hunt. It, if you can access it via public ramp and you have your, you know, safe direction, good mm-hmm. to go. Uh, but you also might want to check, make sure there's ducks there. You know, that's kind of a, a, a big thing too. Cause there's plenty of places where I mean, I can pull out and I can, I can hunt right here. I can sit there all day long and not kill a duck. <laughs> <laughs> I do that in my driveway. Yeah. I can drink beer. That's true. So, no, but, you know, you, we were chatting a little bit about, um, the Charles Bronson WMA. Um, and you mentioned that you like to go in the south. Yeah. And I wish we'd known that because we posted our rendezvous at the north. At the north. Well, hey, in, <laughs> you know, wait, no, uh, the north is beautiful too. It's just very different. What do you think is going to be better for squirrels and rabbits and things like that? It's a little late to change the date, but it changes yeah, yeah, the no, location. No, no. And, and there, there really isn't any need to change it. Um, it's tough to tell, man. I mean, the squirrels are just. You know, that whole dang area is is, is 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 thick, you know. So the north side is, is has some some substantial pasture land, improved mm-hmm. pasture, with little kind of oak hammocks and outcroppings within the pasture, and then you get out into the floodplain on the eastern side of it. But as you head north in the north part of the park, it's that uh, I don't know, I don't know even know, you know, low low forest that's kind of a pine palm oak mixture, and it's just miles of that lowland forest. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of squirrels. The south end, it has a little bit more uh, undulation. You know what I mean? It's not quite as wet in some of the areas. And so you, you'll you have some more scrub and stuff. So, uh, you know, rabbits, that's the south side game. Yeah, okay. But, uh, but What do you think about snipe on the north side? You think there's oh, going to be opportunity for that? Absolutely. There Especially you if go. you cut out to the floodplain, you know. There's a couple good spots to hit the floodplain. If you go kind of to the south and walk, dead from the entrance and walk, or cut north and it intersects with it, and you get out to that floodplain, snipe central, man. Oh, now I'm going to be conflicted. Snipe central. We'll just maybe have to split the day. I'll hunt squirrels early, and then as soon as they... St- you, know, it, you notice at 8.30, it's like somebody turns a squirrel faucet off? 
<laughs> yeah. Man, you hung up. Man, blah, blah. And then gone. 8.30. Yep. Like, look at my wife. Yep. Oh, 8.30. Um, so. That's when I'll pick up the snipe game. But that's the good thing about snipe. You can jump snipe all day long. Yep. I, I got to tell you a funny a funny squirrel story. I don't think I've ever told this on the podcast. This This went back. This had to be three, four years ago. I uh, I drove over uh, from East Georgia to hunt my dad's property, uh, kind of west of Middle Georgia. And uh, I'm sitting in the tree stand, and it's been raining, <clears throat> and I'm in like this homemade uh, ladder stand, ladder box type thing. And I'm sitting there, and the whole stand kind of shakes a little bit. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, it feels like, Something's climbing up the ladder. And I'm like, nah, I'm crazy. <laughs> There's nothing climbing the ladder. And then I feel it again. I'm like, okay. Something is definitely on this tree stand. So then I kind of stand up and I grab my my 22 Magnum. I Every every time I, I go to the woods, I carry, when I deer hunt, I carry a, a Keltec PMR-30 22 Magnum pistol. Mm-hmm. Love that little pistol. It's great for dispatching anything I need to. My dad's killed a couple hogs with his, you know, it's just a good pistol to carry. When I lean over, I stick my head out the front of this box stand and I am literally three feet face to face with a fox squirrel the size of a house cat. (laughs) (laughs) Scared me to death. Yep. I stuck the pistol out and shot at him and he jumped off the ladder and, uh, I thought I hit him, but I think I scared him as bad as I did. He did He did me when I stuck my head out. And then he just ended up running off in the woods. But, man, dude, just the thought of, you know, because he jumped up from the ground and hit that ladder. And when he hit the ladder, I felt everything move. And I was like, oh, something's going to join me in the tree stand. <laughs> yeah. Peek-a-boo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he had full intent to. Had I never stuck my head out, he was going to come right up on up in there with me. Uh-huh. And are you allowed to shoot fox squirrel up there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. That's wild. And dude, let me tell you, you want to go hunt some fox squirrels? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Because different terrain, I, though. You notice that, I, yeah. dude? I will sit on the place we have, and he's got in Georgia now, and it's not uncommon to see seven, seven or eight in the morning. They are all over those pine trees. The fox squirrels seem to stick heavily, heavily to the pine trees. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of them out there. Uh, it's not uncommon at all to see them chasing each other like you see gray squirrels down here. Right. Wow. But so I got a question for you. You're a, as a small game guy, mm-hmm. rifle or shotgun? That is sometimes the hardest internal debate that I'll have. Uh, here's my rule of thumb. If birds are legal and I can possibly come across some doves and maybe shoot some doves, doves are my number one thing. I love dove. Dove is like my favorite thing to hunt. So if doves are in season, um, well, actually, if dove and duck are in season, then it's shotgun. And I just have a shotgun, and I carry a handful of number fours. I like to squirrel hunt with number four. That's my favorite uh, squirrel round. Uh, so you're not picking a gazillion of them off yeah, skin? Yeah, picking a gazillion. And if you can lead it and just kind of get the head, even if you lead it far, and a couple of those number fours, they're just big enough, they can kind of drop that squirrel, you know what I mean? So if birds are legal, it's it's shotgun all day long. Late in the season... After uh, after most of the birds the seasons have, have gone, then I might just walk with my twenty two. Because then the only thing I'll miss out on is quail, and I don't see that many quail anyways. Especially if I'm in an oak hammock, you know what I mean. So uh, so yeah, it's almost always shotgun. So I'm tell, a shotgun hunter. What, what tell me what are you doing to uh, when it comes to scouting doves? Mm-hmm. Give me the lowdown. Depends where you are. All right, uh, you know a, a lot depends on the on the uh, 
the type of woods that you have access to if you're hunting public land, private land, or, uh, or you just know the area. So it, it, there's, there's specific things, you know, and then there's kind of general dove scouting in general. Uh, that's the, well, I would say that's the beauty about hunting the same places year after year. Okay. If you can go year after year to kind of some similar spots, um, you start to, you start to pattern the resident doves, you know what I mean? And kind of their activities and sort of where you see them a lot, you know, so general rule of thumb with the, with the dove scouting is that, uh, man, they like to get a gullet full of grit and drink some water right before they go to roost. That's always a good thing. So you know what has grit? These Lime Rock Roads and the WMAs. And if you get a couple little puddles, I mean, consistently, man, I'll see doves going at last, you know, right before. Now, doves are only legal till sunset, not a half hour after sunset. So if you shoot one a half hour after sunset, you got to lie to the game warden and tell him you were shooting on a rabbit. Okay? <laughs> now, I'm joking. Bad joke, bad joke. I'd never do that. So, uh, yeah, grit, water at last light, um, you know, open ground. With a lot of seed, disturbed land, doves like disturbed land, uh, disturbed ground, stuff that's been disked or uh, agricultural, you know, processes that will have it disturbed. Um, I've noticed cattle feeders. I'd hate to give that secret away, but I'm going to do it because I care about your listeners. Okay. If you got a pasture land and they put out one of those grain feeders, just set up right next to it. <laughs> just set up right on it like hunting, you know, like hunting pigeons out of the silo like hunt, exactly it's like a city park pigeon man i'm talking just just if they got a cattle feeder out there with that little uh, grain kind of mixture that they put in it just hunt right there just hunt right there just say that i noticed um in my coil hunting first year burns where you get that there's a term for it, but i can't remember it's a com it's a it's a certain kind of savanna they call it you know they've got the big long leaf pines, but they're fairly widely dispersed. But it's it it's got to be like a first year burn where they burned it in the spring and now it's just come back into green, where the palmettos and whatnot are maybe only foot to eighteen inches off the ground. And I think what you you know you were saying about the disturbed ground, yeah. there's enough open space in there. The doves will settle in there. You won't see them. Mm-hmm. We're plodding along looking to get after the quail, and all of a sudden there's a rise. Yeah, and they usually, they don't let you get too close, but the nice thing about it is a bunch of them haul up into those big old longleaf pines. Yep. And if you just, if you walk, march straight at them, they won't stick around. But if you just kind of meander into the area oh, yeah. and you, you oh, know, yeah. take a you know, circuitous route, they'll stay still. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the equivalent of water swatting a duck, but I, I don't care. Listen, we're talking about humanely harvesting these things. If you can shoot it off a tree limb, you're not winging it, man. It's going to fall straight to the ground. That's humane the way I see it. I've caught them. (laughs) Blam. So I, I, uh, you know, kind of like what you're talking about, uh, you know, on the amusing end, I call my buddy Jeremy. I hope he listens to this podcast. You know, he, he, uh, uh, I call him my bird dog because he is highly impatient. If we're duck hunting, we're snipe hunting, we're dove hunting. And he thinks there's one or it's like, oh, I saw it land on that pine tree. I'm going to put the sneak on it. I'm like, all right, buddy, you go put the sneak on it. And he'll sit there and crawl and be as crafty as he can. And 300 yards from the thing that I was like, what in the hell is this redneck doing? And it flies off. But if you have a friend like that, you let them be the bird dog. And sometimes that bird will circle around back to you because they scared it towards you. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, now in, 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 in two talking about doves, uh, there's like piney wood dove hunting and some some random stuff. And then there's a dove field, you know, 
to hunt a dove field, a planted dove field, it's 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 kind of a completely different ballgame. And I would also say if you get migratories in, a uh, general rule of thumb with doves, if if either if you have a, a large number of residents and you're at an area where they want to be, like the private land I was hunting a couple weeks ago, all I was one shy of my one man limit. I got fourteen doves in an afternoon. Um and uh the thing about doves, if there is a lot of them or you're on a planted field and you see them land someplace, don't wait for them to pick back up and fly over you in two hours. If you see them land, get them moving. Do everybody else a favor because a dove on the ground feeding is a dove that's going to get a full gullet and go to let it digest and roost. You know what I mean? You might not ever get a shot at that dove. So go, go chase it, go run after it, make it fly. And especially if you got a big group, you'll kind of sneak up on them and most of them will fly off because they see you coming, but there's always one or two that kind of stick around and let you get close enough. And, uh, and, you know, they're wild animals, so they do weird things. Every once in a while, I have dove do silly stuff like a quail would. You know, they'll kind of take up a little bit and go about 10 or 15 yards and land again. Somebody's you know? having a bad day. They're just feeling, I just yep. don't feel like flying away today. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, but that's hunting. That's that's part of the fun of it is that it is. But You know, you related a story. You're talking about different procedures or, or attacked, and we talked about ethics earlier. You related a story to me one time. Well, I saw you out there where great place – I don't want to, I'm not going to talk about the WMA and, and I don't want to, you know, I accidentally throw somebody under the bus, but you and I were out on a WMA mm -hmm. and you indicated that you'd gotten out to it nice and early. It's a great dove. It's, it's actually, not, it is a dove field, but it's not a cultivated dove field. It's just a place right. where the environment's great. And a lot of times when it's right, man, the doves are just piling in. And as a result, sometimes it draws that last year there was, I never seen so many people out there. Crazy. But when you're, in that situation, and you're on a public dove field or a place that holds doves, mm. well, I'll, you know, you tell the story. Tell the story and, and what probably should what happened to you and what should have happened. Well, I, I don't want to hog the mic. You know what I'm saying? I'm not. I'm Please not, do. I'm not, not, you're here for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not coming on trying to be the only. You know, uh, talking more than my share. But yeah. So again, very popular place for dove, and kind of like the cats out of the bag. Okay, lots of guys know that this is a good place near an urban core <laughs> to go for doves. And uh, my friends had been scouting it. They had an archery quota. And they're actually some of the few people that take a shotgun out and hunt migratory birds during an archery quota. You know, So if you hear guys shooting during an archery quota, you know, they're the bastards that are doing it. But either way, they knew where the doves were, found them, popular place, small game comes around, loads of people lined up. And we're kind of set up early. Like you say, get out early, due diligence, had been scouted, knew where we wanted to be. And I'm sitting there. I put my decoy spread out. I have a little dove tree, and I got a few on the ground in front of me, these little decoys. And a guy kind of comes, and we see him kind of cut through a, an opening, and he's coming towards us, and we shine him with the light. Well, he kind of has right over towards us and goes about, man, maybe 50, 40, 40 to 50 yards, literally on the other side of my decoy. And I said, what in the hell is this guy doing? And I said, hey, buddy, buddy, you're too close. Hey, I'm over here, my decoys. You know, and he, he goes, oh, it's fine. It's fine. No, oh, no, we'll shoot in the air. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't know you, dude. I don't know you. You are right now. Even if I was responsible, I don't know that you're going to be responsible. These doves do all sorts of crazy things. Yeah, they'll things. make low passes. They will make low passes. And I don't expect you to show that much restraint. Just what are you doing? So I'm like, you know, I uh, talk about what you might have done to the guy that drove down the road in the morning. You know, I, I was I was audibly cussing this guy out. I, I, I really lost my temper. Man, that's not your uh, that's not your nature. It, it is not. It is not. In fact, in fact, I've known so many crazy people from that. I'm like, I'm weary to cuss somebody out because I'm like, man, this guy might lose his cool, especially when we both have guns. 
You know what I'm saying? Well, I guess there's mutually assured destruction. But uh, and so I, I finally got so pissed off. I'm like, screw this. I, I pick up my decoys and and stomp on over to the other side. Didn't go very far. I went like kind of on the other side of it. And but I was like, I can't believe it. And as the morning rode on, like people just kept coming out of the woodworks. I kid you not. This is kind of a. They they came in last year by carload from South Florida, like from Miami. I mean, I don't know how the word got out. I know COVID had a yeah. lot to do with it. Right. But like the previous year, they had like 17 people out there. And then last yeah. year, they had 121. The girl at the gate God. had to call the game warden just for help. Just like for help. not yeah. because people were unruly, just, just sheer numbers. Sheer numbers. So that's what I'm saying. The cat's out of the bag in that same forest. You know, I, I'd had my my, my buddy uh, posted up on a little food plot out there because they have some food plots. Again, it's not dove fields, but the food plots are good for doves. Not necessarily because of all the seed dropping, but it's a disturbed area. So right. the dove have plenty of ground to get to. And uh, and he's just getting, you know, people moving in, moving in, setting literally really too close for safety. Uh, you know, so, man, if y'all are listening, you know, well, I hope you're not. <laughs> if a, the, the bottom like, line is on, if, if a guy is there first and you settle in and he indicates that you're a little too close, he was yeah. there first. In that case, it's sure. pro- the onus is on you to put a little distance there. Right. And, and there, uh, and you know, like I said, there might be a desirable spot. And, uh, and to some degree, more, more people hunting isn't always bad, especially if there are a lot of doves coming in, you know, they keep start to come up. in, you keep them moving and you make them change direction. That's not all bad, but golly, get far enough away from somebody for your own damn safety that you're not going to get peppered, you know, cause people, when the doves start flying in, you cannot expect someone to show that level of, uh, consciousness to not accidentally shoot you. If yeah, you mentioned mutually assured destruction with battle by shotgun in a dove field. And I was thinking, <laughs> and this is terrible humor, but I was like, man, a gun battle at 40 yards with eight shot. That is going to be a long, bloody, painful affair, <laughs> yeah. man. <laughs> You're eventually going to be like, okay, I'll stop if you stop. Where's the back team? You know, it's like. <laughs> Turning so, your back, kind of squinting your eyes. Oh, yeah. I, so I have, a, I have a scenario to propose to you, Cameron. I wonder your, your opinion on that. You put yourself in the same scenario. But the guy instead says, hey, well, do you mind if I come sit with you? Fascinating. So, uh, so yeah, at that point, like, yeah, let's line up next to each other. Right. Let's go back to back. Come on over. Sure, sure. If, yes, if, if well, yeah, yeah. And, and if somebody. He, he comes out, he says, hey, man, I, I, I'm new to this and, and I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to learn. Do you mind oh. if I, I sit with you? Dude, if he comes out and sees some lights and he's like, hey, I thought there were some doves here. Bro. I mean, I'm, I'm rolling out the red carpet. In fact, I'm going to be like, here, you sit here on my decoys and I'm going to go right over here. Just know where I'm at. Don't shoot me. You know what I'm saying? And right. I'm like, I'm yeah. putting him on it, man. That's because you're the I'm teacher. trying to give him the best freaking hunt of his life. But it's all about attitude is what I'm getting totally. at. Right. We had a classy thing. Briar and I were out scouting a, a lake in, in Central Florida. Um, and there's, oh, I forget how many. Uh, we saw in the high teens, if not low twenties of, um, whistlers saw four, five, four or five models, you know, pretty, pretty decent opportunity on a small lake. And we're pulling out and a fella stops Briar and says, Hey, uh, did you see anything? Huh. And, you know, we figure out real quick, like the, the guy, the guy already knows. Of course we saw something. Yeah. Right? But instead of getting all territorial, does the classiest thing possible to hands Briar a business card and says, Maybe we can hunt together. Wow. And I thought the reason that was so classy, right, is like this is a guy that's already scouted the area, sees a couple of the fellas out there scouting the area. Chances are 
we're going to wind up there on the same days and probably in relatively the same location. So if that happens, we run into each other either at the ramp or you go out there or he goes out there as opposed to you getting in that situation where you're setting up just just a little too close and then everybody, because sure. they're worried, sky blasted, nobody was home with everything. Sure, sure. Now you go nose to nose, man. You know, you, right. you got a, you've got a guy who has extended the olive branch instead of, instead of trying to be territorial, say, let's embrace a philosophy of abundance and hunt together. And I think that that's, that, you know, it, it, the dove field was different. You already staked out your area and you warned it, but you know, and again, as opposed to, as opposed to coming over and ask you, he just set up, like in, in certainly in a place where you blind him, you, you'd you'd be punching holes in him if you shot him, or vice versa. Well, and I sure, and and I was not going to remain there. And yeah, that was classy too that you that you because, turned the other cheek. Well, it was just dangerous. It was dangerous. I didn't know this guy. Lo and lo and behold, who do we run into at the Ducks Unlimited banquet? But the guy that you got, the guy that you you guys ran into at the at the ramp. I didn't oh, meet him. Wow. I was down the road. He was yeah, there. He was there. He was. He actually won that big stack of coot decoys. Oh man, I didn't know that. That's yeah. awesome. Well, good. Yeah. Thanks. So I walked over to him at the end of that, and I was like, "Hey, uh, just so you know, we're going to come hunt over those decoys too." <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that, man. I don't know how yeah. I missed that story. Well, keep dropping me these clues because I know where this banquet was, and you're talking about this lake that had models and whistlers and. We'll talk uh, about so it. When oh, man, you're, in the, you're in the club and we go. You go you know. Oh, I know, I know. When I, when I, I hit it. that square over here that stops the recording, <laughs> we'll we'll drop some names to your camera. It's all hey, right. Hey, that's all right. Well, it's like I said, I, I gave away the biggest uh, biggest secret of the night is those cattle feeders. But no, no, it is. You know, hey, and, and truth be told, like, you know, positive interactions and working together, uh, you know, we're in the third most populated state in the union. Uh, with the, the the you know we all know we've heard the statistics about how the populations increase and then this might apply to your listeners in other states in in near urban areas too where there's pressure you know you got to make friends man if you aren't making friends you know there you know there's plenty of water plenty of ramps plenty but you know when you start to hone in on where the ducks are going to be and this and that you're going to have some competition so figure out a way to ally Figure out a way to ally, you know, set up some mutual boundaries. Better to hunt with somebody, know where they're at, set up at the same time, be in communication than to have that early morning light, flashlight, headlamp shine in battle and then all of a sudden complain about the other guy. You know, just join forces. Well, you know, when it comes down to it, if you're not making friends, you're making enemies. And the last thing that hunters need is hunters against hunters. And what is it with bass fishermen? They just... It's not all. I know mean, there's some wonderful <laughs> them sons of guns, man. They they can't. There's a spread right there, and you know the guy over here with the lights and saying, "Hey, Jim, like, I know you can hear me." I've, I've had it. I've had it. I've had it worse than that, uh, where we have literally had someone in the daylight come up and and fish in our spread, and I've stood up and said, "Hey, uh, we're duck hunting right here." I know we're hidden, but we're not hidden that well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just want to let you know, because if ducks come in and I have a safe shot, I am going to take it. And yeah. I, I don't know, man. It, it, it all comes down to it. It's, it's everybody's water. Sure. But on the same hand, it's everybody's water. Right. Right. Yeah. So it, it's a matter of respect. And I some people, uh, I, I would say... The overwhelming majority of bass fishermen, hunters, whatever, are going to give you your space. Mm-hmm. 
but there is that bad apple that ruins the bunch for every group of people. You know, that's fair. And I said, what is it with bass fishermen? And I, I did try to throw that disclaimer in there because it is. It's, I should have said, what is it with those handful? Yeah. You know, because I don't, I don't see guys out there in like a family boat doing it. It's the guys out there with the sparkly boat, the gazillion dollar setup. These are dudes that are out there whacking bass every weekend. Right. And right. so here I am right. out there for the, the yep. one time you'll be there. And you still got to feel like, right. because it's not, you're, and then the, it's weird. It's like you're intentionally hung around too. Oh, sure, sure, sure. You know, and that, that, that there was a, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm now griping. Because that's just not a situation. Well, why don't you come bass fish with us while we're hunting? <laughs> right. you know, that, it's like it's like you're intentionally you're intentionally trying to ruin my time, and that that is just like oh man, you turkey. Well, you know, Jim, that 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 illustrates, and and and, and will kind of what some of the stuff you're talking about really is a is a message that I wish I could relay to some folks who, who are upset. Like, and you see it a lot with a lot of hikers that show up to a forest that they didn't really realize it was hunting season. Then there's you know the the flannel shirt and orange vest uh, mafia sitting there rolling around and rolling back up and they're like oh i'm a little intimidated it's like maybe so the bass fisherman that doesn't like the duck hunters you know but like the hunting seasons are usually kind of short and there's lots of places to go and like you know especially when it comes to like the uh some of the hikers in some of the wmas or for that matter like some of the fishermen like hey this this isn't a whole long extended thing this is kind of a a very finite season. You can fish year round. You can hike year round. We've got a few weeks here. You know, let's. <laughs> yeah, oddly enough, as a mutual as a, respect, as a deer hunter, when you've just got a through hiker, I think a lot of this comes down to experience and having having walked right past deer, climbed up a stand, and then had the deer once the deer thought and sat there, had the deer move right across my trail. I realized that. Um, like we're talking about rabbits, I don't think that a deer's first, I don't think its first um, choice is run. I think it is freeze. And since they know where you are, whether they can see you or not, they know where you are by sound, sight, smell. And they're listening to that hiker pass. You know, you might not have known that deer was there, but if that hiker passes... Unless they happen to stumble right onto the one, I don't think the hiker that's just moving through um, is even if they're singing and listening to the radio or talking oh. loudly. I really don't think they're upsetting your deer hunt. We think they are because we're trying to be quiet and stealthy. Oh. But I really don't think that they. You know, if you if you heard all of a sudden a deer blow and run off, you'd be upset. But I, I just I don't really think it's as big a deal as we make it out to be. Let me tell you this: we actually had a piece of private property that we hunted in Georgia with the gentleman that we leased from him and his buddy would walk the property on a daily basis. Now we generally tried to let him know, Hey, we're going to be up here this weekend to hunt. And if we did that, he, they wouldn't walk. They would stick to the front half of the property where there wasn't many tree stands. If we forgot to tell them, they would still wear like bright orange jumpsuit top to bottom. <laughs> And they would walk the property. The deer didn't care. Oh, they're out there every day. Yeah. They oh, yeah. they would turn the corner and they would see you in the tree stand. You're like, hey. And they turn right back around and go back to the direction. And it doesn't matter. The deer are still going to walk as soon as they turn around. It doesn't. I, I had deer standing in front of me. They would turn the corner, see me, and then they would go back to the direction the deer would never leave. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
But that goes back to the, the the public use of public lands. Those people that are hiking, they're they're there year round. The deer know they're there because the deer don't just show up during deer season. Right. In fact, right. I would argue that they leave during deer season. But <laughs> we don't. Sure. Yeah, exactly. We we've got a hunt coming up um, in January. I'll get the date in a second here at Seminole Forest, oh, and yeah. uh, for small game and. We've been. This is this is kind of the the, the funny part about it. I've, we've been out there and heard groups of people on bicycles. Yep. Yep. Intentionally driving through and saying and and commenting that they're trying to make noise to disturb the hunt. And the and the kind of the, and, and the the ironic part about that, I'm like, these are squirrels. Go ahead, make. Please do make noise. Get them suckers to move. Yeah, make right. them upset. I'm like, you're 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 actually you're not hurting the hunt in the least, you know. Right. But uh, yeah, I, again, the, the, that's kind of one of those ironic things that the hunt or the the act is arguably ill intended, but the outcome is arguably exactly the opposite of what right. they're trying yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah. That's, oh, yeah. that's another yeah. thing I try to do when you're on public land is if, if you can outset the majority of people around you, the people getting down and going back to their truck to go back to the check station oh. to yep. shoot the shit, they bump deer on their way out that could inevitably pass by you. So you outsit them by 45 minutes. And next yep. thing you know, yep. kapow. Oh, yeah. So to kind of recap uh, on our small game hunts, probably should have so, done this earlier in the podcast, but. Uh, December 18th, we're going to be at Charles Bronson WMA. Uh, you can just type in Charles Bronson WMA small game hunt into Facebook and you'll find all the details. On Saturday, January 22nd, we are at Seminole Forest. And on February 5th, we are in Ocala. And uh, Ocala is really great. Um, US, the U.S. Forest Service is allowing us to meet at the um, Pittman uh Pittman Visitor Center, mm-hmm. and they may, they're working on it. I don't know, we may end up having um, a U.S. forestry speaker or a Forest Service speaker come in and talk a little bit about the forest. Uh, or maybe we're going to see what that looks like, and then we might do a lunch. But that's uh, that's to, to be determined. And then we were going to do a snipe out at Three Lakes WMA and trying to spread things out. This is totally my fault. In my effort to spread things out, I managed to spread our scheduled snipe out Right, clear snipe season. <laughs> so uh, you'll Details. see that can has been canceled <laughs> since we don't want people in handcuffs. And <laughs> um, we're gonna—I got to go back to the drawing board, or we have to go back to the drawing board and see if we can maybe fit that in between the January second and February fifth hunt. Um, but like everybody else has got families, and you know we love to get out there, and we really want to help in the R three effort. Um, but we'll see if we can get that up, and then. Uh, Going further down the record, uh, we've got somewhere in the teens that have already RSVP'd. The Cameron Gordon is noticeably absent from that list. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Well, which, which one? Which one are you talking about? May 11th, the uh, Swanee, the fourth annual Swanee River Fishing Expedition. We're going to float down the Swanee. And if you can't get out for all five days, um, that one kicks off on May 11th. But curiously, we're going to be leaving on a Wednesday. Uh, from Swanee River State Park. We'll be staying on the river on night one, but on night two, we got cabins at Lafayette Blue State Park. So that is another place for folks that just can come out for three days and do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You can meet us at Lafayette Blue. But we'd love to have people on the five day if you can't make five days because of work schedule, things like that. Uh, you know, 
get out there on Friday. You got to uh, bring the, the boys. 13th. Do some fishing. We will slay the bluegill. And yeah. awesome springs. Like first magnitude, second magnitude springs. Hopefully we'll stop at Royal Spring where you can jump off a platform. If you break your neck, you didn't know us. We didn't know you. <laughs> You're fired bear, before you hit the ground. Yeah, we'll bury your canoe. In the, <laughs> you know? Well, it never showed up. But uh, yeah, there'll be a lot of good times on that. I'm looking forward to it. I think we have what so uh, awesome. for for the wow. five day trip. We have uh, fourteen or fifteen guys. No, well, so I'm talking wow. about spots left. Three, I think we Three. filled up. We filled up two cabins. Man, I should know, right? I think, I think each cabin holds six. And I think we've got three spots left. So that would be 15 people. These are 15 dudes that didn't just say they're going to come because to get into that cabin, it's 50 bucks. So we got to cover the, the night's rental there. They don't give them away. So we got three spots left in the cabin. And as of right to second, we might even be able to get one more if all of a sudden things really um, heat up. But we should probably start propping that thing up again to see. You know, yeah. Give it a second we, round promotion. We kind of forgot about it there for a while. and uh... It's not till May. Oh, yeah. Sure. But with as many people that jumped right on that cabin right away, to the fact that when we started this, we only rented two cabins, and then we had enough people jump in, we rented a third cabin. Yeah. Well, originally it was one, and went to two right away because like six people were like, "I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in." Okay, yeah. Two. Wow. And then that filled up pretty quick, and now three. Yeah. Um. So, man, it's five days, four nights. It's one way, so you don't have to worry about going up uphill, so to speak. We're going to put in at the Swanee Springs State Park so we can park our cars there. It's like five bucks admission. They've been in the past very cool. We're going to canoe down to Branford. And if somebody wants to park a car in Branford, more power to them. Or I think it's $35. It's on the site. I think it's 35 bucks. There will be a Outfitter, for lack of a better term, who will pick us up there and bring us back to either Lafayette, if you want to go there, or all the way back to Swanee. So we can't make it any more cush than that. If you pay your 50 bucks, we're going to be sleeping in screened-in platforms. You don't need to bring a tent. Just bring whatever you want to cook with. Bring your sleeping system, be it a, a, a mattress or, 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 or a hammock. But it is, well... I think I've done eight or nine of these things, but this is the fourth one we've organized for adults and whatnot. And a lot of the guys that are coming have been on the previous three. It's going to be great. It, call it what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a flotilla. Oh yeah. Armada flotilla. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to talk well, this. We can get bored. One of the greatest things about that is, you know, it gets hot because you know, there's always, it's, it's a great time of year. So it doesn't get like unbearably hot. But it gets hot, and the water is almost always 72 because so much of it's spring-fed. And eventually, you get a bunch of guys just come together, and you kind of tie off the canoes and kayaks or whatnot at one another. And, man, you're just floating down the river. Some of the people on the outside are still throwing bobbers at the at the bank, and you pull a couple of fish in or, or, or whatnot, and other guys just chilling out drinking beer, you know, and somebody might be singing. It's just uh, jokes are flying back and forth, and – Oh, Man, wow. it's you. If you want to go relive your childhood, there's no better place to do it than on the Suwannee River, because there's there's places where, man, I don't think that river. I think that river still looks the same as it did 200 years ago. That's almost uh, living the the quasi uh, Tom Sawyer. 
closest you're going to get. Yeah. Oh, man. And we were a little early, but the the Gulf sturgeon might be in. And it, it's a fish. Man, when you see a Gulf sturgeon that might be five feet long, weigh a lot of weight, breach right next to your canoe. I mean, I mean like we've had them actually hit canoes before. Man, they, I don't know how they do it, but they almost seem to levitate. And um, they're amazing. And there's just not many of them left. But if they are in the river, they'll be in there thick. And uh, it's 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 probably the only place you're going to see them. There's a few rivers in Alabama and whatnot they're in, but nothing like the Swanee. It's the last of the wild rivers in the south. Wow. We've got you quite a got few. <laughs> we got quite a few events coming up here in the next few months and then past the first of the year uh with you know the the Swanee River is probably the the latest the, the furthest out one we have planned right now um but you're going to see the crawl the second annual crawfish bowl come around again this year um and then we talked well that was even after that the the, the river cleanup is after the the Swanee River trip right June No I think the river or was that earlier The Dagnabbit um I think we're going to do the crawfish boil in. No, you're you're absolutely right. The river cleanups in June. Mm-hmm. So the crawfish boil is in March, April. Well, we'll April, figure that out. Something we'll like that. Obviously, it's not on the calendar for good reason yet. <laughs> yeah. Whenever crawfish come into great season, that's when we're going to do the crawfish boil, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, we listen to this. But uh, Jay Platt, who's currently living just outside of New Orleans. Uh, tentatively is talking about coming down here and, and just hauling crawfish by the boatload. So it's only a one-way trip this year. Instead. That sounds wonderful. Well, yeah, let me tell you, that, that crawfish boil that y'all did last year, I think that might have been the first real event that I came to. I had met y'all, but went out and stuff. Man, that was well, it, excellent. Dude. You know, I got if my Jay, fill of crawfish. If Jay is going to bring crawfish down, are we going to have to have Jay and Ridge like fish fight, uh, fist fight to, to cook them? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure Jay will just uh, say, you want to cook them? Fine, man. I'll <laughs> crack the beer. Yeah. yeah. I also think that Jay works for the CIA. You know, I know he does something with satellites and global communications for a company, but I'm convinced that's a front. Yeah, you know, he's, he's very, you look at him, you're like, oh, he's not threatening. That guy will make you disappear. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hope we get a chance to meet him. But we talked about some of the great events we got coming up. We go ahead and wrap this podcast up with the tip of the week, as we always do. And, you know, I'll start us off and I'll say that uh, Avenza Maps, especially if you're hunting down here in Florida, Avenza Maps is a free app you can download and then you can search within Avenza Maps. Or a lot of times you can go to like FWC's website and they have an Avenza Maps PDF file you can download and it'll load that right into the Avenza Maps app. And then you're looking at the same map you look at of the WMA, except Avenza Maps will post your specific GPS location on that map so you can see whether you are in bounds for where you're supposed to hunt or whether you, you've crossed that uh, line in the middle of the woods where you're not allowed to be. So it can save you a ticket. Yeah, or if the road that you think you're going down is actually the one that's on the map or one they didn't put on the map. Right. Yeah. My tip of the week is going to be to know a guy like Cameron Gordon. And I'm not being, I'm not turkeying out here on that. But, you know, especially with social media, you see these posts all the time where, can anybody help me? And the funny part about it is there are 
consistently people say, yes, I will help you. I, I've, when I see that and I reach out to people, I don't, I don't do it in the general uh, comment section. I send them a, a private message and it's nice when they do follow up and especially with some of the small game hunts and things like that, they'll show up. Uh, Keith, um, Keith O'Hara, who's a, right. he's not been on the podcast. We need to get Keith in here. But Keith O'Hara is a guy that listens to the show, uh, sends and says nice things. He's come out to a bunch of different things with BHA and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That's how that started out. He he saw the hunts, you know, said, hey, I, I could use some help. And PM, and next thing you know, boom, he's there. And, and there's, uh, forgive me, for some other folks that have done that, and, I, and I, I'm just having difficulty remembering who. Um, but finding guys like Cameron, how many folks have I referred to? To you, two or three, right? Oh yeah, a handful. In fact, I got uh, Mario. Uh, yep. Uh, you know he, he he's going to come out camping with me at Triple N, I think, and we're going to get on it, man. You know, dude, we got to talk about. Well, we forgot about that, man. The yeah. post Thanksgiving shindig at Triple N. Oh sure. yeah, don't let that one, don't let that go by the wayside. Sure, sure. Well, talking up, man. Talking up. We didn't talk about Mosquito County once. <laughs> the whole podcast is supposed to be about Mosquito County. No, no. Well, see, Mosquito County. It's not the Mosquito County on your microphone. It's the Mosquito County in your heart. You know what I'm Oh, man. <laughs> no, so uh, my tip of the week is this. Uh, uh, absorb the WMA brochure. All right? Read that brochure and just know it left to right. Read the nuances because they're all kind of boilerplate and they all have a little bit of difference in their season so just just know that brochure okay i'll I'll live with a guy named uh named nameless but uh he was kind of fresh to hunting didn't quite understand it and showed up at one of these wmas that we've talked about tonight and uh he's like yeah yeah i just uh the gate was unlocked and man i went in you know the statewide said that you know rabbits were legal and this and that i was like dude but you had to have a quota permit and it was archery season and you're oh man so Know the rules, absorb the rules, and if it's a little bit confusing, do what Jim did and ask on any kind of platform, or ask one of us, and we'll help clarify if you're confused with it. How do you do? Oh shit, <laughs> that's the scary I slew part. Him. He, he, he shot a bunch of stuff, man. I, I, <laughs> I believe that what you were looking for a second ago, Cameron, was this. <laughs> awesome. We got the soundboard. I love it. We never oh, use man. that. Thing. No, we don't. <laughs> well, I'm glad. See, I, I'm inspirational, man. You know what I'm saying? I try to be an inspiration. <laughs> well, that's good. But tell us, tell us about your your hunt at Triple N. All right. Well, so yeah, briefly, Triple N Ranch is 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 perhaps my favorite wildlife management area, and they have a small game season that is going to this year run from the weekend after Thanksgiving. Friday is a scout day when you can bring hunting equipment and dogs to the forest, but uh, you can also scout and get vehicular access throughout the area and so it's the weekend after thanksgiving until late january i don't know the exact date 19th or the 20th it's always like january 20th roughly or whatever weekend is close to there and from thanksgiving to january 20th triple n ranch in central osceola county uh they also have a public shooting range on the south side of it very popular they've got the, the you know the sporting clays course and and then all sorts of rifle ranges and pistol range and uh but Triple N Ranch, beautiful woods. I'm going to have my camp set up out there. I don't know dates, this and that, because pretty much uh, I'm going to make it out there as much as I can. And so come out, explore Triple N Ranch. But that that Sunday that it opens, 
you're going to be there. Yes. So the opening weekend of Triple N Ranch, I will. Is it be a there. Saturday or Sunday that it's open? It's it opens on Saturday. So like I oh, say, Saturday. you can you can get out there Friday. But you can't hunt on Friday, but you can get out there. I'm gonna be out there setting up my camp, and then uh, kind of hanging out on Friday, camping, and opening day is Saturday. So it almost seems like we might want to amend our hunting schedule to add an event, the Mosquito County. Well, that's also the weekend before we head to Kentucky. I know, but uh, and it's also duck season. Yes, it's. It, I know, it, it, and it's, it's right tough. after Thanksgiving. People I, I have family stuff. It's tough. There, oh man, I want to create a note. There are ducks. There are ducks on Triple M Ranch. There are. There's ducks in Bull Creek. I'm not too. telling you where, but they are. <laughs> There's so many hooded mergansers you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> hey, I will shoot Ringers. the crap out of a hooded merganser. <laughs> they're beautiful birds. They're fun they to are. shoot, man. They do. I I haven't made one taste good yet, but they are. Uh, they're they're good. I'm sure you can. Buttermilk. That's a yeah. buttermilk. Yeah. <laughs> but well, now here's the thing. Oh, if you got hooded mergansers, guess what else is there? Wood ducks. Mm. Wood ducks. There's a lot of wood ducks out in those areas. And they feed on acorns in the creeks during the day, and they come to sit on the open water at night. They taste like deer meat. You can't change your mind. <laughs> as much if if you can get a wood duck that oh, like truly course. eats a bunch of of acorns, they taste just like deer meat. Huh. Hmm. I think they're better than deer meat. Uh, okay, so I'll give you that one. <laughs> so the, the tip of the week is on Saturday, November twenty eighth ish. Yes. Yeah, be, a, be a triple on ranch for a throwdown. Yeah. Ranch. Just come Absolutely. on out. It's wide open. 16,000 acres. Excellent roads. Lots of different terrain to hunt. Absolutely. I think I'll be there. I think I'm going to try. Yeah. If you can, I'd love to see y'all. It's going to be a huge party. I mean, and then whatever you shoot, bring it back to camp. We're going to throw coffee and on the, the fire. We'll be drinking coffee all day, beer all day. Fires, lighter not. I always collect lighter not. You know, the best thing is, this is one thing, if I might be poetic for just a moment before we close out. One of my favorite smells is the smell of a lighter not log just mm. kind of just burning in the air, man. If you don't know what lighter not is and how it smells, hit me up. You are missing out on one of the finest simple pleasures of life. Lighter not is, is a, uh, I believe that's a southern thing. Yeah, they call it fatwood places, uh, too. Uh, you know, fatwood, lighter not. Yeah, that, that that there's always been a <clears throat> that was one thing I was taught as a child to never pass in the woods. No matter how much you got at the house, if you see it, you better pick it up, bring it back to camp. <laughs> yep, yep. covered in ants, throw it on the ground, come back get it later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, make, I, don't, I don't know if all pine trees do it, but some of those ones down here, man. I mean, dude, when you when you look at that thing and the old resin sap looks like a crystal mine, you just be careful, man. Don't get that next to a cigarette or something like that. <laughs> it's going up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My boys know, too. If I'm sitting there and I'm chopping it up with an axe just to make it into smaller pieces, you know, whenever you get a good split, you got to smell it. You know what I mean? You're just mm-hmm. like chop, sniff, chop, sniff. And you better find every splinter you just shattered across the oh, entire. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So oh. before we close out, I'll tell you why they call it light or not. Because if you can find it when you go to light a fire, there's no question whether the fire is going to light or not. Bam. That's all there is to it. There it is. Simple as that. Cameron, thank (laughs) you for joining us, man. And we'll see you out there at the end of November, and we'll catch you guys next week. Absolutely.